0: Welcome to the Grizzly Times Podcast with Louisa Wilcox, a place devoted to all things grizzly, where we interview scientists, managers, Native Americans, and others about their perspectives and experience with bears and their ecosystems. This comes at a critical time in a complex debate about grizzly bears, with the recent restoration of endangered species safeguards for the Yellowstone bear, but a new proposal to strip protections for glaciers grizzlies, and when warming temperatures and development are transforming the bears' world. We hope that you find the information and views offered here useful as you shape your own conclusions. This is the first of four podcasts from a fascinating interview I did last summer with Estella Leopold, the last remaining offspring of American conservation icon, philosopher, and writer Aldo Leopold, who's considered by many to be the father of wildlife ecology and the United States wilderness system. Estella, who inherited his scientific and storytelling gene, is a force of nature herself. She embodies a kind of grace, humility, and generosity of spirit that are increasingly endangered today. And she offers here insights about her father, her family, and herself that no amount of reading can give. This interview covers the span from the turn of the last century to the present from Bikini Atoll and Micronesia and China's Yangtze River to the wilds of Mexico and the woods of Wisconsin. She covers everything from wilderness, fire ecology, forests, and cows to ancient pollen, pikas, and pet crows. Plus, she's fun. In fact, I haven't heard the word fun so much in a long time or love, which are central themes in the lives of the Leopolds. I confess I was nervous at the outset, partly because I held her father in such high regard. And to me and many others, his masterpiece, Sand County Almanac and his essay on the land ethic might as well be the Bible. And partly I was intimidated by Estella's reputation as an internationally acclaimed paleobotanist and veteran conservationist. But her warmth and friendliness put me instantly at ease and you can hear how easily she laughs. You can also hear how overly excited I was in places as well as some of the technological glitches of using new recording equipment. Sorry about that. A few facts about Aldo Leopold. After graduating from the Yale Forestry School in 1909, he served as a forest ranger in the southwest where he formulated some of his early ideas on ecology, including the importance of predators, and where he met his wife, also named Estella, who hailed from a prominent Hispanic ranch family near Santa Fe. He went on to be the first professor in the country to teach game management, now called wildlife management, at the University of Wisconsin in Madison, where he bought a rundown farm along the Wisconsin River during the depression, known as the shack, which his family worked to restore with huge success. He left behind hundreds of essays on conservation, hunting, wilderness, wildlife, and ethics that continue to inspire us today. I'll start with Estella's introduction of who's who in this fascinating family. All five of Aldo Leopold's children shared his gifts as scientists, teachers, and storytellers. Estella is writing a book on her mother, who she describes more later.
1: But he did not direct traffic in the family. He was sort of encouraging us and helping us along and asking lots of questions and listening closely to our and but they were both interested in us, which was terrific. Yes. We'd sit around the dining room table and, and Dad would say, Now what did you learn today that was of interest, Estella or Carl or whatever? And so then we'd start the conversation. And then we well, so would keep asking questions.
2: He would just ask about, questions. Uh-huh. Yeah,
1: listen. Huh. Us. And so sometimes we'd sit there and worry about what dad was going to ask us next. Right. <laughs> think up something. What did we learn today? You know? uh-huh. But it was a wonderful beginning of the day with breakfast or for supper. We loved it. Huh.
2: Uh-huh.
1: Anyway. That was fun because mother and dad were so nice to each other. What what that an was, example! That was really terrific.
2: So it seemed like they had an extraordinary relationship, your father and your mom. Oh yes. And uh, loving each other throughout their lives and loving all of you kids. Exactly. Uh, and well, I think dad would walk
1: home every day for lunch uh-huh. during the weekend. And he would come through the front door and mother would come to greet him, always looking very fresh and wonderful. And uh, then they would hug, sometimes for a long time, Aww. in the front hall. Aww. And we children would, would come along and wait till it was our turn to hug dad. You know. <laughs> <laughs> and So that was a, an indication of a very warm relationship. And we'd sit at the uh, dining room table, breakfast or dinner, and Dad reach out and hold mother's hand. Oh, how sweet! They while they were talking, yeah, right. while we were all talking, right. So that was really nice, right? And he was just—they were just so both warm and friendly, and obviously uh-huh. we were warm to each other. So. Yeah, yeah. So I think that was a very important
2: uh-huh. indicator. Yeah, and they had uh, your dad courted her at at some great length. Uh, before she said yes to him.
1: Oh yeah. <laughs> as, you, as you noted from what Kurt Miney said, Yeah, and I've been going over all these letters, all this in the beginning, right. where they began in 1911 to know each other, and uh, Dad writing home to his mother and saying, I've discovered that Estella is really quite a peach. That was his <laughs> description. Peach, that's cute. <laughs> that was really a compliment from uh-huh. Dad. Yeah. Starker was the oldest, and then we were two years apart. Uh-huh. Stalker Starker was, and Luna, the second uh-huh. son, were both great hunters, taking uh-huh. after Dad. Right. And they loved to hunt ducks. Uh uh-huh. And pheasants. Uh uh-huh. kind of, Sometimes snake. Right. But they were both uh, wonderful. Uh, voices had. Played the guitar, had a lot of fun with yeah. music. Our mother taught us all these Spanish songs, which we've, we've treasured all these years. We just loved them.
2: Well, yes, you and and I and understand you were quite the singer and guitar player. Yes, I fact. used to do all that. Uh-huh. I don't do it now. Yeah. yeah. After
1: uh, those two boys came Nina and, uh, Luna went through a civil engineering degree. Starker right. did forestry at Yale uh-huh. and um, PhDs both. And then Nina was a geographer. Uh-huh. right. And she became a star lecturer of, well, about land ethic and dad and, and was a very popular lecturer in uh-huh. her lifetime. Uh-huh. So we, had, we uh, really admired her contributions.
2: Well, it seemed like all of you specialized. I mean, you became a world-renowned paleontologist, and, <laughs> and really Luna, a nice. hydrologist, and Starker, the wildlife biologist, and Carl, well, the my plant. My field is a small field. But anyhow, we had, oh, we had a lot of fun as students
1: in it. Right, right. Well, let's see. Then I went down to Nina and Carl. Yeah. Who was about seven years older than me? Right. Became a plant physiologist and botanist. He taught at Purdue. And all of these siblings had children, right? Two or three kids. right? And so that was lots of fun. Some of these are paying off now, because we're seeing they're carrying on some of the work that we always thought was interesting.:
0: Although Leopold was a quintessential naturalist, a keen observer of nature who took the field of ecology to a new level. The Leopold children picked up this skill too, as illustrated in this story Estella shares about her brother Starker. Book ended with two about her father.
1: Uh, you know, he he really was a terrific observer of of nature and you know a good tracker, you know, mm-hmm. a person that is notices everything mm-hmm. in, in the environment. And so was Starker. Took mm-hmm. right after him. Just absolutely amazing. Hmm. Um, And through that, he eventually. And when we were at the at the cabin, the dad would keep journal. And um, today, the um, spiderwort came into bloom. Oh yeah. And then we had the uh, draba was uh, everywhere, Mm -hmm. and uh, this sort of observant of nature. Was recorded and pretty soon he got the idea, partly through Carl, Hmm. that he should keep track of the dates of when these plants Mm -hmm. offered their beautiful flowers. Mm -hmm. And so he did and went into this field called phenology, which um, he published later, was published for him. Um, But it led also into, he changed by getting into um, from wildlife, he got into bird song sequence. He wasn't didn't sleep very well, so he mm-hmm. would wake up at all hours of the morning, three o'clock, and mm-hmm. get up and go outside with his coffee cup and uh, build a fire and sit by the fire out front in the summer mm-hmm. and listen to the birds. Well, I can remember um, getting up with him and going out and sitting. Mm. By the fire with him, and he's making coffee and so forth. And, uh, pretty, pretty soon, he ordered a, a light meter so mm-hmm. that as each bird came in the song, he would record the
2: mm-hmm.
1: amount of light available at mm-hmm. the campsite mm-hmm. from the rising sun
2: mm-hmm.
1: and tying it to the bird song that was beginning at that time. Right. So he got these all organized in terms of their sequence in the morning, and that became a a very nice scientific paper. After his death, one of the graduate students published that work with his name on it, too. Lovely. Dad was an incredible observer, and let me give you an example. He said Starker was a mirror image of Dad in terms of... Hunting and observation. Yeah. I have to tell you this this story. Yeah, we were floating down the Green River with Luna and Star- Starker and me, mm-hmm. and some of Luna's colleagues. And um, we came to a we saw a beach ahead that we were going ahead for to uh, make make a camp. And uh, we found, as we got to the beach, the Starker was in the front of the boat. He stepped off the boat and he said, oh, there. And he looked down and in the sand was a, a place where an animal had curled up and had been oh. sitting. And there were the tracks. After that, it turns out that um, he got off the boat and I was right after him. And he said, let's see what that was, Estella. So I followed him. We were walking towards the uh, edge of the woods there. Going along and here this track had jumped from this position about ten feet to over there. Oh. And so he said, aha, it's a lion, let's keep going. Oh my! And we kept going into the woods and following these tracks. <laughs> and we got into the woods and um, he said, hmm, I couldn't see the tracks anymore. And he said, listen, here because there's some flies over here. He pulled yeah. the brush aside and there oh, was a carcass.
2: Oh boy! Yes, of a deer right there.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. I mean that's pretty astute observation <laughs> on Starkey's part.
2: And that lion, had to be really he, close by. he
1: wasn't. He wasn't done. He was going to turn around and figure out then what. Uh huh. So he he turned around and figured out that um, the uh, lion had a been sitting there uh, sleepy wise with the with this carcass yep. covered it up with yep. brush mm-hmm. and left uh-huh and you know, but putting all that together well that was it was astounding i was very impressed and guys like starker and dad putting things together yeah like the uh, i was with Dad and Nina and mother, when he visited the uh, old-growth uh, maple hardwoods in northern Michigan, oh. and a contract he was asked to come and, and a private group who owned this property, uh-huh. part of a wilderness area. And mm-hmm. How should it best be managed? And he walked into the forest and, and he immediately began to spot things that well we wouldn't have noticed.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: He said, where? Where are the baby hemlocks, oh, the hemlocks are gone. They have the deer have eaten the hemlocks. Oh, uh huh. You could see the little bits yeah. of pieces, but they're right. not there, and they should be. Right, it's a maple hemlock forest. Right. right. So um, then, uh, other things that he would see in the forest that were just phenomenal. Mm-hmm. His vision. Mhm. So he was very good. So he told them how to manage that land, which they have been doing since.
0: Much of what Aldo Leopold wrote about involved love. Here Estella shares about her father's love of nature, which runs through the family. She shares about her own views too, featuring a story about a filmmaker friend. And in response to a question about climate change, she waxes eloquent on her love of picus, a tiny mountain dwelling kind of rabbit, which is especially vulnerable.
1: A lot of what we're talking about is an understory of love. Uh, you, oh. you look at San County yeah. Almanac, yeah. Um, someone commented that there were more uses of the word love in San County Almanac, or in Dad's literature, yeah. than many other writers, yes. because he was really focused on the, the connection, um, on moral and mental connection with nature. Right. Love is is that connection. Yes. So uh,
2: that's one of his big themes, and, uh, rightfully so. Right. How have you internalized that, the, the idea of love and nature? I mean, yes, I, I, when, when you mentioned it, love is all over the place. Is that something that, y- you know, you, you were just well, imbued with, or how, how have you... Kind of internalize that in your life. Well,
1: I, I think it's it's again goes back critically to to our each of our education, our environments, our growing up, our experience with nature. And I have a story to to tell you about a hmm. filmer. a name I probably can't pull up, but he he's the man who made the film uh, Long Live the Kings," the king salmon. Oh, wonderful uh, gentleman. Lives here in Seattle, uh-huh. and uh, I went to him, and uh, when I got to meet him, and said, "Oh, it's it's just so neat that you've uh, written all these wonderful uh, scripts for your films, and you've done such wonderful work on saving the environment." Now, how come you got doing all this since you grew up in the Bronx and in New York? Oh. And he said. Well, Estella, you see, when I was young, I used to play with my buddy, and there's a little park across the street from where I lived. Mm. And that was where we grew up. And uh, I tell this with tears in my eyes because it's such a lovely story, and and a great story. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly why he does the things he does now, because as a youth, he became fond of nature and loved it yeah and it's stuck right so uh, how can our, our young people also get that close attachment to nature and that it means real exposure and experience and being in the outdoors and learning it and loving it
2: and yeah. enjoying it yeah did you have a sense when climate was getting debated in the the early years you described do you have a sense that like this was going to be the blockbuster issue of our time you know, did you... you... I
1: didn't anticipate no, Mm. I should have. Yeah, no, I just... I should have, gradually it dawned on all of us, didn't it? Yeah. How important that could be, and how important it is and will be for Mm -hmm. these endangered species, and the timing of the ecology, and these little pikas living on the mountaintops, and they're coming out of the cave in the spring, and they Trying to find their spring lettuce, and maybe it's already bloomed and
2: gone to seed, and they don't get their greens. Yeah, and then they die. You know, well, and biologically, they 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 don't thermoregulate that well, so mm. they really overheat those little guys. Oh, yeah, yeah. My uh, Dave, my husband's son, my stepson, worked on a pika project and just oh, trying I to
1: love pikas. Oh, I just love them. They're so cute. Oh. They're the prettiest little animal I ever knew. Yeah. And and they shout
0: at you. They do. (laughs) Throughout his life, Aldo Leopold reflected on what he saw happening in the natural world, but also on management. His views changed radically as he gathered new information on the role of fire, controlling predators, and management of livestock and native ecosystems. He concluded that what was needed to face the challenges was a cadre of well-rounded professional managers. Here, Estella shares some of her father's epiphanies that her brother Starker expanded on in the case of fire and fire management. Parenthetically, Kurt Miney, who she refers to, wrote a beautiful biography about her father.
2: Uh, And clearly he had transformations in his life. I mean when from the time he thought that all carnivores or predators were farmers and... Thank goodness he changed on that (laughs) (laughs) score. Well and that essay thinking like a mountain where he killed one of the last wolves in New Mexico and then had an epiphany. Were there other epiphanies that happened as he matured and taught and traveled and Saw things and went to Europe, and I mean, did you see changes? Well, he certainly had an epiphany
1: by visiting the German forests, uh, which were the whole point of his European trip. Right. From the sponsored by the Carl Schurz Foundation, and uh, discovered to his dismay that the German forests were all. Uh, Manicured, and everybody walked through and picked up all the sticks on the ground, and, mm-hmm. and tried to plant all the trees in absolute rows. Mm-hmm. And uh, boy, from then on, he was for you know let's have a natural reestablishment of vegetation at the shack. Yeah, and uh, and there were some wonderful discoveries that he made as as we started at the shack. It was um, something like eighty acres mm-hmm. of. Uh, this old farm and to the upstream end there was when we took our walks we found there was a beautiful grove of white pines and they were at least a foot in diameter quite handsome in a group and when we had got to the shack property and this was 1934 we didn't have any plans dad said ah this is a ecological indicator that pines were growing here right. for a long time and right. there aren't any at all anymore on yes. the property. Uh-huh. So we obviously want to plant pines. Uh-huh. And yeah. he figured out three species were native and then uh-huh. that's what we began planting. Right. And we then later we favored the white pines. The white pine. but, uh, we, we had a lot of red
2: pines too in right. our ways. So it was really delightful the, the essay that your dad wrote in San County Almanac on Gavilan, uh, the Gavilan River in Mexico, um, where he saw a relatively pristine environment, at least it hadn't been grazed to death, and it began... It seemed like that experience put in perspective a lot of what he had seen. Yeah. And, uh, and kind of changed his... Maybe, I don't know, changed his view, but it was very... Elucidating of the importance of protecting wilderness, protecting what we have. Yes, and and
1: realization that the predators mattered. Yes, and that they were critically important as as was fire.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Starker and Dad had when they were on these hunting trips in the last years of his life, the gentleman they would get the horses from would guide them into this area, they would the The guys on the horse would strike a match and throw it down, and it would begin to to burn. <laughs> Whoa! But you could see plenty of evidence from burning, but mm-hmm. they burned on purpose. Right. That helped keep down the weeds.
2: Right. It was just just fine. It worked out fine. <laughs> worked out fine. Yeah. I think we're slowly. I mean, even though we've got massive wildfires going across the West with warming and climate change and everything. Uh, I think there's a, a greater appreciation of the role of natural fire, you know, generally.
1: Yes, it, uh, I think it's, it, it's caught on now, and some very good work has documented that, uh, as well as Starker's students have done a lot of work with that. It was it was after that, the last trip Starker and Dad took to Mexico. Mm-hmm. Starker wrote that when he came back from that trip, and he went into California. And Dad went home, and uh, he he was confronted by all these signs of saying, "Gonna uh, 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 put out this fire and put out that fire and don't light a fire and mm-hmm. so forth." And he, it began to occur to Starker there's a something uh, there's a poor fit mm-hmm. about that regulation. So. That got him in close association with Professor Biswell in the forestry department okay. at, at Berkeley. At Berkeley. And Biswell was way ahead of his time. And he was burning, um, doing prescribed burns for ranchers in the valley mm-hmm. through the years. And there's a story that Starker told that at one time, um, Biswell had, had offered these services for a fee to go in and and thin out the uh, brush and then build a prescribed burn and, you know, cover the area pretty well with a prescribed burn Then A little later on in years, a lightning storm came up and um, struck some of the areas that Biswell hadn't worked in and immediately climbed the ladder fuels into the um, canopy and just burned like crazy and mm-hmm. it was kept right on going and it came to one of the Biswell burned areas and stopped there. Uh-huh. right. And then nothing happening nothing and then when you got north there would be some more active flames coming back. But the main thing is that um, that was an excellent uh, demonstration of how Biswell was right on it. Right. And Starker students picked that up. Right. And the current of people in California I think we're are much more aware now of the need yes. for a, a burn in the early uh, in the various stages of forest development. Right,
2: exactly. Yeah, so your your family's um, concern over cows. Uh, you know, it's really struck me. I mean, I, I knew your brother Luna some and he would speak about cows and their impacts. And being a hydrologist, he was really familiar. But your dad had kind of this major awakening when he was worked for the Forest Service in New Mexico about just the sheer impact of throwing sheep, sheep and cows, sheep and cows everywhere. Yeah, absolutely, and and. Uh, and,
1: and Nina and I guess Kurt Miney have written, it was ironic that that dad would marry into uh, Hispanic families there uh, who had been as a group responsible for the heavy overgrazing over years, maybe hundreds of years in the the area, which is true. And uh, I hope that it's changing now, but boy, that's pretty bad erosion, and it was so sad. And Dad had written, I, I don't know if you've seen that diagram of his, uh, the series of, of evolution of, of gullies, a sketch diagram. Oh, um, and, uh, there's and there's boxes, and there's a first one, and shows uh-huh. the the terraces, uh-huh. and on top, the surface of the terraces is, is a drama grass. Right. And then there be this little water course running down the middle and a, a little terrace yeah and uh, but as erosion begins at the downstream end uh-huh. and begins to work up then right. the cows are working on or sheep removing uh-huh. the protection to the land surface up above yeah it began to to uh, erode yeah and then entrench yeah and it just became a, 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 a very deep arroyo yeah Which happened in even his favorite country, the the Blue River, which had been his one of his first assignments. Right, and he just loved that area. Yeah, and he said it was so tragic. Yeah, it broke his heart
2: to see how how badly it had been treated. What happened to it? Yeah, as a result, and relatively quickly there. I mean, it seemed like Mm -hmm. you just dump all these livestock, and it happens. And he wrote about how brittle. Some of those southwestern, you know, they're just the just the the arid landscapes are, and and it takes a long effort and a lot of work to reverse the damage. But oh yeah, huh? yeah, That'll be
1: forever almost. So, one so, of your questions had to do with what? What uh, do you suppose is an answer to these questions about uh, yes using? As you call it, charade science, instead mm-hmm. of really having a broad uh, ecological approach, right, to uh, solving problems. Yeah,
0: but what are Dad, your thoughts?
1: Dad had always fought for the idea of having um, well-rounded uh, persons choos- chosen as administrators uh-huh. of uh, agencies yes. in, in the state. He was in New Mexico, right. right. He was worried about political appointments, right. which were useless in yes. terms of understanding the problems, right. or understanding his dialogue on the mm. problem. Anyway, so uh,
0: that was a big issue. Right. Aldo Leopold comes across as a humble person in his writings, but that's just the half of it. Humility enabled him to change his views when warranted, and it had other consequences. What comes through here is her father's basic kind-heartedness.
2: What was it like growing up with uh, such an intellect and a presence? Good question. Um, I thought
1: a lot about this and I think the answer was that dad was charming and that he was very humble. He really was humble and uh, he was confronting people with a with dialogue. He was very careful and very polite, always.
2: Uh-huh.
1: And um, so he wasn't an austere intellect to us. Mm-hmm. He was somebody that, when we went to the country, he jollied up and had a wonderful time and mm-hmm. was brightened up. He just loved being in the field. Right. That was his milieu.
2: Yeah, it seemed like he was out in the fields throughout his career. I mean, starting yes, out with yes. the Forest Service. And, yes, and he loved yeah. in the outdoors. Yeah. So that tells you a lot, I guess. Is so he, it wasn't intimidating, it didn't sound no, like. No, not at all. Huh.
1: Well, that's... And in fact, uh, to show you about a disciplinarian, there was a story about Starker, the oldest boy, his girlfriend, that had. Borrowed the family car and wrecked it. Uh oh! And the dad, <laughs> dad was so concerned that he said, "Starker, is Aggie all right after the?" Oh. And, and Starker uh-huh. said yes. And he said, "We ought to ask her over for supper sometimes. She might need to talk to us." But he said, uh, "Anyway, I hope she's all right." <laughs> for goodness' sake, we were, and we had to walk. Everywhere for about a year till we could get a new car. Oh, is that you right? Know? She really wrecked it. <laughs> oh, it was, it, was, it was a major change in the family. <laughs> uh, but that was dad. Yeah. It was not going to be very hard on Starker, and it was funny. Huh. Not so much funny. It was an important happenstance. Yeah. yeah. I say.
0: This interview with Estella Leopold continues in episode two.